This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. If you would open up uh, to Mark chapter 1. Uh, we are in a series called um, Who Then Is This? Really, it's trying to understand who is Jesus. Who is he? Because if we don't know who he is, then we aren't going to have uh, an understanding of what it means to live for him or to look like him. We can't look like him if we don't know him. We can't, we can't live our lives for him if we don't know why we should, if we don't know what he's calling us to. And so we, we want to take time doing that. Our yearly theme is people are the mission. This is what our yearly theme is. We talked about that. We, we have a, a yearly theme every year. This one is people are the mission. And I think one of the things we want to see in Mark is that Jesus' mission was people. It was you and me. Jesus came to fulfill a mission, which was to bring a people to himself discipleship, proclaiming the good news, sending out people into the world to declare that good news, of which we, Anchor Church in 2023, are a part, right? We are a part of this in terms of our mission. Our mission is people. It's to care for them. It's to serve them. It's to encourage them. It's for us to encourage you, you to encourage others. You to bring others into awareness of the king and his kingdom. And we're going to see that here this morning in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to, in a second, I'm going to, I'm going to read a short section here from Mark chapter 1. Before I get there, um, when I was first starting to play music back in junior high, I had a crummy little amp, as all new musicians do. It was a little bit of a, you know, this is crummy little amp. Didn't sound great. I didn't know any better. I didn't know what sounded good. I didn't know what a good tone was. I didn't know anything. All I knew was that when I played through it, it sounded like something. You know, I, like any new musician, like it sounded like something. If you ever tried to start uh, playing an instrument, you realize at some point, I don't know if this is any good. I just know something's happening, and that's kind of nice, you know? And then you start thinking through things like, well, what, can I play with a band? It seems impossible. I don't know. Like, how does it all fit together? Tyler's nodding his head because he's trying to learn how to play the bass. Um, I see him going like, yep, that's true. Um, that's how it works. Uh, then I graduated from a little amp as I got better into a four 10-inch uh, speaker, 50-watt amp. Some of you are like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Let me just tell you what that means. It means it's really loud. It means that I can... Turn that thing up so loud, and I didn't know what was good. I had no idea. I just knew, hey, this thing looks cool. It's got tubes that glow in the back, which is supposed to be good. That's how I had heard that was the case. I, I buy this thing, and I turn it up loud. I think one of the first days I had it, I turned it up as loud as I could, and I was like, this is so loud. It's so loud. And it was so loud uh, that when I got into a band setting, like with all the other musicians, I was louder than everybody. And I remember people keep a- kept asking me, 
hey, can you turn that down? Because we can't hear ourselves. And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd fake turn the knob down. I'd be like, there you go, you know? Like, because I'm loud. Like, I'm as loud as anybody. I wanted more me. Like, I wanted, hey, you know what's going to sound better in this band? Me. Like, more of me. Like, bring it. How, how much more of me can I get? Like, this is what I was looking for. And we had this band, and all you could hear was me, which was great for me. Because I liked a lot of me. Like, I thought I was playing some nice stuff, you know? Like, this is the way that it works. I wanted more of me. But here's the thing. You know what was better? Less of me. What was better was less of me. I wanted more of me. More of me was better for me. But what was better overall was less of me. And church... Oftentimes, I think, in the, the life of the Christian, we struggle with a balance between more of me and less of me. More of me means I, I like my preferences exist in a higher realm. I, I like to have more of what I want, what I want to do, the ways that I want to think, I bring, I bring sometimes my own interpretations of the Bible onto this to try to have it fit me because this is better for me to understand it. I can bring all of this into me. I, I like a lot of me. But Jesus, the problem is, Jesus says, really the life of the disciple is not more of me, it's more of him. It's less of me. The Christian life is less of me. And, and we think, well, that's not good for me. I think in our, I think in our uh, culture, you know, we live in a very consumer culture. We like, we like to take the things that we like and do away with the things we kind of don't like. But man, if you read your Bible, you realize there is a lot of things that God calls us to, that Jesus is calling us to, that if it were just left to us, we would never do. You know why? Because it doesn't seem to benefit us. Actually, we don't seem to like it. Things like, take up your cross for me. Things like, you will suffer for me. Things like, when you uh, encounter me, Jesus is saying, and John says this, you must decrease and I must increase. Less of me. And this is counterintuitive. Because so much of the way that we live, especially in Phoenix, you know, we, people come in here because they just like the weather. And then they like this church's music and they like you know, this thing over here and they, they like how this person teaches the Bible and, and they don't like this part about the Sunday service. And so they wind up like, just grabbing like a bunch of different things and trying to make this Christian life. And I don't like to read my Bible very much, so I don't. I don't like to serve at Compassion Queen Creek because, man, that takes a Saturday. And we just don't, like, we don't think about what it means to be less of me people. We like being more of me people. And this should challenge us. I mean, this should cause us to think about life, Christian, in a different way. This should... The call of Jesus is one of sacrifice. It's not one of self-serving. It's hard. It's 
less of me. But, listen, church, listen. I want you to know this this morning. I hope that I can show this to you in the text. When we think about the Christian life, this is the big idea, the less of me, more of him. When we think about the Christian life, here's the invitation. Jesus invites you to a better life than just this is me. Look, we, we can live selfish lives. That's just about me. We can do it. We do it. If you're like me, I do it all the time. I make decisions all the time that just benefit me. I know I do. And there's times I'm like, well, uh, i got to re- reorient myself as I encounter Jesus to say, well, maybe I shouldn't live like this. Maybe, I, maybe I, What does it look like to follow him? What does this mean? Is it really better? It's just like my amp. I don't think it's better at the time, but you know what? In the long run, what's going to be better and best, and Jesus calls us to it, is less of you. Jesus, Christian, Jesus invites you to a better life. He, he invites you to something more, and what that more is, is him. It's him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the text. I mean, the question that we're going to ask here is, what makes it better? Because you might think, well, my life's pretty good right now. Like, I, where I'm at, how much of me I get and others I get and Jesus I get seems good. The life balance seems all right. But we will never get to the spot, Christian, where we get enough of him. You will never get to heaven and think to yourself, I just wish I had more of me back. Like, I, I really wish on earth I had lived more for me. I gave way too much to Jesus. You're never going to say that. You will see him face to face, Christian. And I, and I think all of us are going to say, I wish I had way more of this there. And so I'm calling you, Christian. Jesus is inviting you to this. And I'm going to help us see it hopefully uh, this morning. I'm going to read Mark. I'm going to begin in chapter 1, uh, verse 12. This is just to get some context. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15, and then we're going to simply just break it down, live it out, see how we can live it out. I have some very practical things for you. Some of you are sitting in here right now. Um, I know by a law of averages, and maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you're thinking, man, I could be doing so many other things. Um, maybe you're thinking, this guy's got to talk again for 30 minutes. Great. You've got to sit here and listen to it. Can we sing some more? Um, Maybe you're wondering uh, what's for lunch. Let me just say this to you. If you, could just, if you could just bear with me, stay with me. Because the things that Jesus calls us to are not of some importance, the most important. And I want you to hear it this morning. It's from my heart to you. Especially if you're struggling this morning. Let's listen. What is Jesus calling us to? Mark chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. We saw this last week. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. He was out there fulfilling Old Testament things. He was doing a lot of work as he trusted trusted that that God was with him. He trusted essentially his own words in the wilderness. He's, He's fulfilling things for us. And then we get to verse 14. After John was arrested, which is kind of a little bit of a left turn, isn't it? There's nothing more about John. All of a sudden, okay, John's arrested. Okay, I guess John's been arrested. You know, so John's arrested. Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He comes proclaiming the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I want you to take a look really quick as we just I want to slide a little bit, intro us here into this text. I want you to take a look at the slide. We're going to add something to this slide every time we get into a new section of Mark. So this slide did not have these hills here. This represents Galilee. This is kind of the Galilee part of Mark. He's going to spend a lot of time here, chapters of time, doing ministry in Galilee. He's just going to be, you know, around Capernaum, and he's going to be going around to the cities and the Decapolis and all these places. He's going to be spending his time here. And so these slides we're going to add. As we get to know more of him, these slides are going to, uh, the, the sermon slides are going to grow as we start to, to grasp more of him. And today we're going to start this Galilee part of what, what we're talking about here. And this is, this is where we're at. And John, we see as Jesus begins his ministry after he's in the wilderness, John's arrested so we know from other Gospels that there's been some things that have been done before John's arrested, but we're just, Mark just jumps into John's arrested. Let me say one thing about the Gospels, if you've read them. The Gospels are a very different genre, if you're a literary person, genre of writing. It's actually its own kind of genre. We have poetry kind of genres, you know, poems and, and songs. It's kind of a genre of creativity. We have fiction and nonfiction, and we have other things that we would know. You go into the Barnes and Noble, and you can kind of go figure out, is this nonfiction? What kind of genre is this? The Gospels are their own genre. One of the things that doesn't matter as much to the Gospel writers in this genre is um, sequence, because they're not really, they're not trying necessarily to give us a a really uh, sequential, making sure everything is in sequence so that we get it right. This is not necessarily a timeline to be followed. We, we can try to deduce what's going on, but the Gospels, they, they throw different things in different places because they're all trying to communicate something a little different, and they're giving true accounts, but the timeline doesn't really matter. So this is true of any Gospel. When you read it, it's just a different kind of way to write. It's not like reading a, some sort of biography today where if you get a timeline wrong, everybody's up in arms. Like, you know, he was, you know, he died in 1950, and he was born in 1951 or something. I don't know. Whatever it is. Like, something doesn't seem right, you know? We would, we would call that out. That, that's not the case here, especially in all these old, especially back here in some of these genres, and the Gospels are the same way. They're trying to say something very clear to us. And what Mark is trying to communicate to us in this whole Gospel is that the King has come. And His good news is being proclaimed, and it calls us to something. The order of that is less important uh, than getting across the message. And so here we just see that John was arrested. He, he's arrested, and Jesus goes to Galilee. This is almost like, you know, in Lord of the Rings, have you ever read that book? I read The Hobbit, and then I read The Lord of the Rings afterwards, and I, I remember when I got to The Lord of the Rings, I loved Bilbo, you know, Bilbo Baggins who's the, the main character in The Hobbit. And then Bilbo's in like a chapter of Lord of the Rings, and then he goes away. And I'm so disappointed. Like, isn't he the main character? Like, what's going on? Who's this Frodo guy? And I don't like that guy. I want Bilbo. Like, like Bilbo's the main guy. Why are we with Frodo? And then I get to the Frodo part. I'm like, Frodo's cooler than Bilbo, for sure. 
All right, so this is, this is what's happening here. John has to go away. John de- diminishes. John decreases. You think he's the main character. He's not. He creates a way. He's actually a, a figure here who, who comes before the main character. He sets up the main character so that we can see who the main character is. And the main character here is Jesus. This is very, actually, this is very reminiscent of Old Testament things. If you were to go into the Old Testament you'd see that this happens often. Let me give you an example that points actually to John and Jesus, which is Elijah and Elisha. Very similar. They, they get to this place together where they are at the Jordan River. They cross it. There's, a, a, there's a, an interaction with God as he comes down and he takes Elijah up in, these, in a chariots of, of fire. If you haven't read it, I know it sounds a little strange. You should go read it, though. It's in Kings. Um, chariots of fire making the way for the better prophet. The Jordan River, going out into the wilderness, coming back into the promised land, and the the old prophet, Elijah, is gone, and the new prophet, the better prophet, Elisha, is here. And this is what's happening here. That's actually a foreshadow. Because John was a a fore... He's the one that was promised. He's the, the new Elijah. Dresses just like him. Eats just like him. He's supposed to be him here. And then you see him come and, and he goes away. Actually, there's a really good book. We push pause. There's a really bu- good book uh, called Echoes of Exodus. I have a slide for you on this. If you have it back there, Maddie, is it up there? No? Yes? No? Did I forget to put it? Ah, I forgot to put it. There's a book called Echoes of Exodus. Write it down. It's a, I had a QR code for you. I'll put that up somewhere. I'll put it on our website or something like that. Echoes of Exodus is a book that's going to actually play all this out. What does it look like to look at the Old Testament and just see God doing things that he will repeat over and over again? The Exodus just constantly moving until we get to Jesus and ultimately until we get to us finding our home with him. So it's a really good book. Um, I would recommend it to you if you're looking for something to read to encourage you. Um, so John goes away. The, the, what we thought was the main character goes. The, the new main character, the real main character here, arrives. Jesus, he comes in now to, the, uh, to this land of Galilee, and here he is. And the king, point one here is the king comes to bring good news. What's he doing? He comes to bring good news. This is what he's, he's doing. He's bringing this, this good news. And the good news is this, that the time is fulfilled. Everything that has been promised in the whole Old Testament, everything that has been pointed to since the beginning of Genesis in chapter 3, every promise God made that there'd be a Savior that comes, the Messiah's coming, fulfillment, salvation, redemption, all of this that the Old Testament's been pointing to, that time now is here. It's here. In the coming of the king. Jesus comes to say, the time is fulfilled. It's here. It's present. It's come here. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is come. Here it is. And it's here in the coming of the king. The king brings the kingdom. Here it is, and this new kingdom now is ushered in, and Jesus is saying, this is the good news of God. The thing that he's been promising forever is here. Look, this is good news. The king has arrived. 
The kingdom is coming, and it is already here. And we think, well, what is it just a, just a time? Like, what does that mean, the kingdom has come? Does it mean like there is a specific time, okay, now the kingdom's come and then it goes away? Does it mean that, that there's times where the kingdom's there and now it's gone? No. It means that the kingdom of God has now come into the earth and it will exist. And we live in this existence where the kingdom has come near. And we, as a church, we've gathered together as a part of the kingdom. We actually exist here, church, Anchor Church this morning, as a representation of the kingdom come. And we live in this already existent, but yet not yet fully realized because the kingdom really exists when he remakes this whole earth and we live with him forever. This is almost like we want to see it like um, the English monarchy. I remember taking a, a history of England class in my history classes. I was a history major. When we're taking history of England class, you realize like the, the, the history of all these Germanic people coming over and taking over the throne. All like from, from German heritage. You know, Queen, Queen Elizabeth is of the house of Windsor. She was. But before that, there were other queens. House of Hanover was right before. House of Hanover goes away early uh, 20th century, and the, and the kingdom of the Windsors was here. And it's still here, right? We look at it and we go, yeah, it came near, and then it's here, and now it's still here. The difference is, who knows how long that kingdom of Windsor exists for, because you don't know if another kingdom in England is going to take over. Here's the thing about Jesus. His kingdom will never end. The kingdoms come, and he will, uh, he will never go away. We see this in places like Daniel chapter 7, which I, have, I do have that on the screen for you for sure. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly, this is Daniel talking, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, got on his throne, and was escorted before him. This Son of Man, who is the Son, this King has come, which is Jesus. We see a, a foreshadow, this prophecy of Jesus coming. And listen, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is Jesus, and he says, the kingdom has come. All of the prophecy is fulfilled here in me. Believe the good news. This is good news because without this kingdom coming, there is no salvation for you. Without the king coming with his kingdom there is no redemption for you. Without the king coming, you have no future hope. But Jesus says, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. And here I am. I'm the king. I'm the one who has promised there is no freedom like the freedom of living in the kingdom that will never end. Here I am. What do we do with that? So that's good. This is good news. The kingdom's come. The king has arrived. Here he is. The precursor to him, John, is gone. And the king has entered the building. 
not Elvis, the real king. He's entered the building. Here he is. He invites us to respond, which is my second thing I want to say here. Look what he says. He writes us to respond to this good news that the time is fulfilled. All of it has come to this place and the kingdom has come near. Here it is. It's come with me. And he says, in light of this, in light of all of this, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Believe the reality that the king has come. Believe the reality that the kingdom is near. Believe the reality that in the kingdom, there is hope, there is redemption, there is joy. Believe the reality that in the kingdom, with the king, is so much better than outside the kingdom, just with you. So much better to have more of him and less of you. More of him, less of you. We can't live in this world to say like, Well, Jesus says the kingdom's coming. I guess what I'll do is I'll take equal parts me and equal parts him. He says, no, in light of the kingdom coming, you repent, meaning turn away. You're going this way. I'm marching on my path, right? I'm doing whatever I want to do. I don't care. He says, turn from this and go the other way. Repent from all of this, your own lifestyle, your own desires, what you think the Bible ought to say, what you think God should be, how you are forming Him in your image. Maybe you just even ignore Him. Whatever it is in our deconstruction that we have, and we say, well, I'm not going to put up my deconstruction against the Bible because I don't even know if this is true. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going over here. Jesus says, repent from this because the kingdom's here. You're in the presence of the king. You're in the presence of the king. You can't just go and do whatever you want to do because the king's calling you to something. The king is calling you to something. Repent. This lifestyle, the way that I'm living here, is not what the king is calling us to. He says, turn from this. Because the kingdom's here, turn from it. Go the other way. You can't just live for yourself. He says, repent. Turn from that and... It's not just repent and believe the good news. Turn from your way of living. Turn from what you're going to do. We, we might call it sin. Turn from your sinning, your rebellion against God, your desire to go do your own thing, your desire to ignore God and make up your own rules for what God is and who he, you know, who, what he wants you to be and all of this stuff that I think a lot of our culture does these days where we just say, I don't, I don't really want to have absolute truth and understanding. I would like to make my own truths and walk this out. That's not reformation. Biblically, that's something else. He's saying, no, in light of the reality of who I am coming, turn from this and believe. Believe the good news. It's not just so much an understanding. What he's not calling us to is, hey, do you get what I'm saying? That's not what he's saying. Hey, understand it. Repent and at least understand what I'm saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying repent and know what it means that the king now is in your life and commit to living a life for him and not you. See, the the absence of the king keeps us over here saying, I will do what I want to do. I don't care about what anybody else says. This is my my life. 
And I would say to you, if this is you, and you're like, yeah, what Jesus is calling me to, I don't know. This is, I'm just going to live this way. If that's you, I would just say, you're, you are free to do that. I can't force you to not be this way. But you need to know that there is a king. Oh, there is a king. And he's not you. If you want to live for your own kingdom, that's one thing. Me as a pastor who recognizes you are struggling in life, likely. There's something going on. You're weary and tired. You're trying to figure out what it looks like to live this life among death and sickness and hardship. And it's just a daily grind. I get it. And yet we hold on to our kingdom like this is the best thing that there is. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the kingdom's come. The good news is here. Turn from this. This gets you nowhere. This gets you actually separated from him. The king will not have this. One, one day the king will look at this and everybody that sits here and say, you never repented and believed. But church, listen, that day is not now. If you're not a Christian, that day is not now. Oh, there is time for you to say, wait a second. I'm living my life in my own kingdom. And you're telling me there's a king over here who can create something better for me? I hope in logic you'd go, I should at least check out that kingdom. Why am I sitting here? He's saying, turn, repent, go this way, believe this reality that there is joy and hope for you, that there's something more for you. You, you don't have to stay there. He's saying, commit. I love what R.T. France, who's a commentator here in Mark, I love what he says about this word, believe the good news. He says this, he says, believe the good news. It denotes not only an intellectual acceptance that the news is true, but a response, acceptance and commitment. Just what that commitment involves is not yet spelled out. It will be the aim of the rest of Mark's book to explain it. Meaning, the rest of the gospel is going to explain what it means for us to truly believe the good news. What does it mean for you to commit your life to Jesus? What does it mean for you to say, I don't want to live for my own kingdom. I'm a terrible king or queen. I'm awful at this. I can't do it. Is it easier for me? Sometimes. Is it better for you? Absolutely not. Because you know who wants something better for you? It's usually not you. What we want for, for us is, is ease or a comfortable life or something that leads to destruction. The one who wants something better for you left his throne to come here. He was born here. He lived a life. He died on a cross. And he rose again from the dead to prove his love for you. Church, there is no better life than living for the king. We think that there is, but there's not. Just like my guitar amp, man, there is nothing good about me turning up to 10. Nobody can hear anything else. If you're a musician, you're like, you're dumb. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is why I turned from that. And I said, wait a second, music would mean we should all play together. Discipleship means less of me 
more of him. And Jesus is inviting you to this. This is the beginning invitation of this. The kingdom has come. Repent from your sins. Repent from over here. Turn and commit to a life lived, not for you, but for the king. Better life, church. And the rest of the Gospel of Mark is going to help us understand this. He's about to call the disciples and tell them, you're going to fish for men and women. It's not just living a life for you. It's a life lived in sacrifice for me. And we think, well, that sounds hard. Yes. Make no mistake, like the Christian life isn't easy. But being reconciled to the one that made you and died for you and living for him, oh, it's better. It is better. What, what better place to be than when you don't know what's going on, you can trust that God knows. And you wonder, does he love me? And I would say, well, he did die for you. So, I, I mean, I can read the Bible and it says his loving kindness covers you. He never, it, that never fades, it never fails. We can say the words, but you say, well, prove it. I would say there was a cross. That he bled for you. He was nailed there for you. Yeah, I think he loves you. He loved you enough to die for you. Listen, Jesus invites you to a better life. What makes it better? What makes it remarkable? It's the fact that this is good news. That's what I just said. It's good news. We live for him. Our lives are meant to be given over to the one who loved us and died for us and saved us. Our lives are not meant to be lived for us. They're meant to be given up for Him. Less of us, more of Him. This is the call of discipleship. This is the call of the Christian. Less of me, more of Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus in our lives. So that what that looks like then is that we, we see ourselves becoming less. Your, your preferences will be less in this life. You'll think, how do I serve others? How do I live my life for others in the church? Because the church is the place that God created and made so that we might get together and shine forth the glory of the gospel to others. The same good news, this is where God dwells here. And we exist here to serve one another, to be less about us and more about Him. Let me give you three ways that we can practically live this out. Three ways that we can practically walk this out. Because some of us think, well, this is a prove-it culture, so prove it. I think we're going to prove it through Mark. I think the gospel proves it. And we will get there. If you have prove-it questions, you feel free to ask me prove-it questions, or Tyler, or Aaron, or the pastors, Chris. Ask us prove-it questions. We're happy to. I think Jesus can stand up to your just deconstruction. I really do. I think if you're in, a, in a, that season of life for you, I think that he can stand up to it. He's not scared of it. He'll walk it out. But here's, some, here's three things. First one's a diagnostic. Diagnose this. How much of Jesus is actually in your daily life? What I'm talking about is, is do we have more of him and less of me? Or are we just in this existence where we have both equally? Maybe for some of us it's more of us and less of him. We, we just enjoy my life being way more about me and less about him. Just a diagnostic. This is for you to, to think about your own life. How much of Jesus is actually in your daily life, in your reading or prayer, in your time spent serving or praying or studying or encouraging others? You know, thoughts about uh, you. You're just thinking about you and your desires. 
what you want, what's best for you instead of him and his desires. What does he want? Serving others in need, not necessarily just with my money, but with your own hands. Volunteer teams included here. Compassion Queen Creek included. Coming into the church and saying, look, I, I want, I want to, my life to be less about me and more about others. Now, some of you are in a situation that's hard. I get it. I get it. Sometimes we need to, to have times where we pull back and take breaks, but sometimes we use those as excuses to have just more of me. And I can't diagnose that for you. But I do know this, that part of that is just a diagnostic of like, well, is my life mostly about me or is it about others and Jesus and how I live my life? And am I, am I really spending the time to get to know him in the Bible? Because you can't trust him more than you know him. You know, we, we want to know, know him because if we're called to live for the king and trust the king, then we want to know the king. So are we in that place? None of the things that we do save us, by the way. It's not salvation stuff. It's just diagnostic. It's saying, well, what's my life lived for? Me? Does it live for others? Does it live for him? Am I doing this because the Spirit's called me to do this? Which leads me to my second point. Here's a start for you. If you're diagnosing and you're not sure where you're at, I would just say this. Pray daily for the Spirit to make you more like Jesus. Prayer is an underrated tool in your growing life. It's an underrated and an underused tool in your growing life. In your walk with him, prayer is, a, is an underrated part of it. And I would say, parents, it's the same way. Prayer is an underrated parent. Do you, do you often pray for your kids? Because, man, prayer is an underutilized parent, parenting tool. I'd much rather have the spirit parent my kids than me. Right? Parents, yes? Some of you are like, no, I'm, the, I'm better than the spirit. Okay, <laughs> great. No, I'm not. Like, I'd much rather have the Holy Spirit parent my kids. Like, way better. We, so we want to pray for that. Prayer, man, it is an underrated part of this. We pray that, that the spirit of God would... Help us to live out this Christian life in such a way that we honor him, that we look like him, that we decrease and he increases, that it's less of me and more of him. This is a prayerful thing for us. If you're just trying to live your life uh, to be a better person on your own strength, because that's what you were raised in, or that's how you think somehow God accepts you, I would say, you're missing the gospel. You're missing the good news. We live our lives for his glory, because he died for us. And man, that good news has been given to us, and therefore my holiness or my life is lived increasingly to look more like him because, man, I'm so thankful for what he did for me. Read, read any of Paul's letters. This is, the, this is the process for him. The whole first part is, look at all Jesus has done for you. And the second part of his letters are, and therefore live like him. Look like him. This is what it is, and we want to make sure we get that, but we want the Spirit to be working in us to this end. So there's a start for you. Begin praying that God would just make you more like Jesus, to say, repent and commit to a life that looks like Him. Live for the King. We want to do that. And lastly, it's just this, consider taking real steps to live this out. Just a few things. Learn. Read your Bibles or listen to your Bibles. If you'd rather do that, listen to your Bibles. Listen to some audio books or podcasts or spend some time in prayer. Just learn. What does it look like? How, how do I know him more? Spend time. You think, I don't like to read. I get it. Again, I, I love the fact that we do live in an audio book culture because you can just listen. 
But man, are we spending time getting to know him? I mean, it's just a practical step. Take real steps to live a life where we look at him and say, what does it mean to repent and to commit my life to him, to believe this good news and live for the king? What does that look like? Take real steps. Second one is live in groups. I'm going to say it again. I'll say this a lot. We have anchor huddles that we're still trying to continue to get more leaders into. Some of you want to be in a huddle. Literally, it's like it's just a time, you know, two, three, four people together trying to grow up close, personal, over time. This is what we're trying to do, just small groups, three or four people getting together. We need more leaders for that, by the way. And so if you would like to lead a huddle, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about training you for that because we want you all to have this desire to get together in small groups to grow. It's discipleship. We, we want that. We have some of them going, but we ran out of leaders. If you're interested in becoming a, uh, to be in a huddle, come talk to us. We'll put you on the list because there's a list, and as soon as one opens up, you're in it. But we got to get you on a list. We want to know that you're ready for that. So, so come and talk to us about being in a huddle. Live in a group. Live in an anchor community. We have a few of them right now. Jump into one, learn together, be together, encourage one another, live for others. Some of you think it just takes too much time. Again, what are we living for? Because we have all this my stuff. I like my stuff. The call is to say, well, the church is existent because God says this is where I'm calling you to be, to grow and to help each other grow. And so I think as we think about things like, well, well, should I be in an anchor community and live in a group like this? I'd say, well, you don't have to. I'm not the kind of pastor that's going to come and say, I'm going to control your life, all right? I'm going to make you do this. I'm not going to do that. But I can point you somewhere and say, you want to get help to know Jesus more and be part of the church, huddles, communities? If you're not in one, here's another invitation. Jump into one, live in groups. And then the last one is this, look for not about me decisions. Man, these are hard. Not about me decisions, serving opportunities. Again, we mentioned it before, Compassion Queen Creek is a good one. It does take time. It'll take a Saturday, but it's a not about me decision. Developing Workers, which is a, an organization we partner with to go overseas, takes time and finances and resources. Some of us have the resources to do it, but we don't want to give the time. Say, well, maybe we should consider that. Is it a not about me decision? Church life. How involved are we in church life, the place where, again, the Spirit on Sunday mornings really dwells here in a unique way? Like, we, we want to gather. It's like, are you, are you serving somewhere? Are you, you know, Anchor Kids always needs people. So does the setup team. We need people. It's a sacrifice, 7.30 in the morning on Sundays. Ugh. Who wants to do that? I don't think anybody wants to do that. But if nobody does that, we ain't sitting here talking about Jesus now, and we're not singing. So I'll just say, if you're, if you're at a spot where you're not doing any of those things, consider it. Greeting team in the church, I don't know. They're not about me decisions, and I don't know what those are for you, but what are they? Answer the question, what's a not about me decision that I can make here? Again, none of these get us anywhere with Jesus. It's not like we're going to now be a better person, Christian. He accepts us more. But it does mean that we're answering the call of repent and commit my life to live for the king. Amen? And this is the call of the Christian. Julie, I'm going to have you come on up as I pray. We, we are a church that is planted right before COVID, if you're new to the church. We are uh, we're growing, which is encouraging. We want to continue to grow. People are the mission. We follow the king. 
This is what we're, we're about here. We want people to know. We want to invite people here to live a life generously for the king, meaning that we do live less for us and more for him. This is what we're calling us to. This is the mission of the church. We, we want to see that happen over and over again. May it be so for his name. We're going to take communion here in a second. During the song, if you haven't gotten a communion cup, I invite you to go back to the two tables and, and you can grab one. If you're a Christian, we would love to have you take this with us. Even if you're part of another church, we, we do this really as a family meal. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you don't uh, take it. This is really an opportunity for those of us who've trusted Jesus to say, I remember his death for me and I'm going to celebrate it together with us, with the church. So we're going to do that here in a moment. Let me pray for us and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sing and take communion. Lord, may our May our lives be lived in such a way that we honor you. Do it, Lord. By your spirit, do it. I ask that you would be among us, Lord, just week by week as we see this. Who, who, Jesus, who are you? As we, as we see the answers to these questions of who then is this? May, may you, by your spirit, in, in our hearts individually, prod that question in us at moments of our days. As we think about you, as you work in and around us, as we ask questions, as we're struggling in faith, Lord, may there be times where we just stop because of something that you have done in us, you've worked in us, and just say by your spirit, Lord, who, who is this? This is the Jesus, the Christ, the King, and remind ourselves of your goodness. Lord, may we live in the goodness of your reality and the goodness of your kingdom. May it be so. In your name, amen. amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.